The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So adjust your body as you need to. Forgetting if I mentioned uh, the one way that we often practice here at the center, just to kind of keep it simple, we, there's a whole array of meditation techniques, meditation practices that would fall under the category of directed meditations in the sense of we're directing our attention to some object or aspect of experience, right? But there's also a whole category of practices that you would call a non-directed meditation. So here with that, and then we did a little bit of that at the end, and it's good to put aside at least a couple minutes at the end of your sit. Even if you only have 10 minutes, save one or two minutes to do that non-directed meditation practice. And just to make it simple for you, you might uh, do what we did tonight, which is open your eyes so that just in your own mind, you're distinguishing between the time you're directing your attention maybe to your chosen anchor, like some of you are working with hearing, many of you are working with the awareness of the breath coming in and out, or whole body. But with the non-directed, any aspect, any object of experience is fine for the mind to be knowing, and more specifically, not telling the mind what to know. We're just resting in the present moment, being in the present moment, and remembering to recognize what the mind is knowing. So that's the practice. Remember to recognize what the mind is knowing. Oh, this is being known. This is being known. And then if you feel like, oh, I should direct my attention, then notice that. Instead of actually directing your attention, notice, oh, that's that neurotic thing of thinking I have to do something. And that feels like this. And this is where you can use that naming or noting practice. It can be just sort of naming what the mind is knowing. And, you know, the question, well, I don't know what's predominant, but what's predominant is what your mind is knowing. And has there ever been a moment in your waking life when your mind wasn't knowing something? So you don't have to tell the mind to know something. Right? It's in the very nature, one aspect of the mind is this part we call awareness or knowing. And what knowing does, it knows things. And what is it going to know? It's going to know what's predominant. Right? That's what predominant means. It's like what the mind is naturally already knowing, that's because it's predominant. That's what the mind notices. So, but can we remember to recognize that? that the knowing mind is knowing something. Oh yeah, this is being known. So you to prompt yourself, you could even ask, well, what's the mind knowing? What's the mind doing? And what's that feel like? Right? So we're just, and you can get just as concentrated. Initially, it's harder than just having an anchor or a meditation, a primary meditation object. Um, but like you might be aware of hearing, hearing, aching sensations in your knee, pain is like this, it's just this throbbing, throbbing, 
and just be okay. Breathing in is like this. Hearing, hearing, hearing. What am I going to do tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Oh, thinking, thinking, thinking. So you're just tracking whatever the thinking, the knowing mind, rather, is knowing. And then you get lost. But you get lost when you have a primary anchor, too, right? You get distracted, lost in thought, or whatever. And then you remember, and you come back. And we've already been sort of given instructions. So, like lately, I've been saying that when you notice that you're distracted, don't immediately come back to your primary anchor, your meditation object, right? Like your breath. Take a moment and notice the distraction that's, in a sense, taking the attention away. Oh, it's just this being known. So in a way, we're taking a moment or two moments, or it might even be some many moments, and in a sense, we're making peace with the distraction. So it's not really a distraction at this point. It's something being known. Oh, this is what the mind is knowing. It's like this. It feels like this. And without making the distraction go away, the practice is to notice that it goes away on its own. So for example, if you're using for your normal practice mindfulness of breathing, and you're kind of tracking the breath in and out, and you're relaxing, and you're feeling the whole body as you breathe in, feeling the whole body as you breathe out, which is a nice, actually, way to work with the breath, not just focusing on the actual, specifically the touching at the nostrils or the feeling of the belly rising and falling. But as you feel the specific sensations of the breath coming in and out, feeling the whole body, too. Right? So feeling the breath coming in, feeling the whole body, feeling the breath going out, sensitive to the whole body. And you're doing that for a moment or two, several breaths, maybe even, and then some reverberation from the day. You feel maybe there was some embarrassing thing that happened. You feel it. Immediately when you feel it, you remember the content, context, and you start to spin, think about what happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that happened. You know, and then when you think about it, you feel more. And when you feel more, you want to think more about it. And so this is this dance. So mostly we're not aware that this is happening. So now we're, we're called distracted. We're lost in that pattern where we're feeling some leftover emotion. And because there's not a wisdom and awareness there, the leftover emotion, the yucky feeling, triggers some thinking. And the thinking charges that yucky feeling again. Charging the thinking, charging, right? So that's the dance that happens for a while until, because now there's some momentum in our practice, the mindfulness in the mind realizes, oh, this is being known. This is what the mind is doing. It's spinning with this memory of what happened earlier today and the feeling that goes with it, the emotional tone and how that emotional tone feels, right? That's what's happening. So now, you might think, and it's not terrible to come back to your breath, and if your awareness, if the um, sort of momentum of the mindfulness isn't very strong, it might be good to come back to your breath or to the body sensations at that point. But if you're feeling pretty settled, then just keep observing that pattern of having a feeling associated with something and the content, the memory, right? 
and let it fall away on its own. Really be there with awareness and see that whole distraction, that whole pattern evaporate or fall away or implode, right? And we, you know how we know that this has happened? Think about how many thoughts we've had in our life. Where are they? They've all gone away. But how many times have we actually seen a little drama going on in the mind and body? How many times has awareness actually seen it evaporate or fade away or whatever it does? So you see the task at hand? We have to learn that without me, a self, trying to get rid of some baggage or some distracted thinking or neurotic thinking or whatever it might be, obsessive thinking, but just to observe it in a neutral way, an honest, clear, but not trying to hold on, not trying to get rid of, and see that it disappears on its own. It falls away, passes away on its own. That's a real insight. Each time you see how your drama will fall away on its own, you'll gain confidence, I don't have to react. Because so many of our dramas are caused by reacting to our dramas. It's like, so we, like for example, the, the example I gave a few minutes ago where there's some leftover emotion from something that happened today, some embarrassing thing. I notice it, the content, the memory of what happened comes back, then more of that feeling, more of the memory, doing that thing. Um, but when we're aware of it, right? and aware of the content, aware of the feeling, what happens to that in the space of awareness? Really see it go away. You could just do a little experiment. You know, you could you know, bring to mind a pink elephant. Imagine a pink elephant. Or have the thought, there's no pink elephant in this room. And then what happens to that thought? Just, so just on your own and silently in your mind, just have the thought, there's no pink elephant in this room. You see how you go to the space of the present moment? When, when you're observing the absence of that thought, you see how you come right into the present moment? Noticing that that thought's no longer here really brings the mind into the present moment. There's something powerful about observing the endings of thoughts, the ending of feeling and emotion, the ending of a breath, you know, like the out-breath and it ends, the in-breath and it ends, and really getting interested in that moment, oh, that's done. Even sounds, you know, they arise and they pass. It's very liberating because this uh, one of the deeper habits in the mind, it, we think it's me, we think it's self, but it's just a habit. And it's the habit of thinking we have to do everything. Yeah, today I did Tuesday. You know, it's like Tuesday would not have happened unless I was there doing it. Like I had to get myself to common ground, then I went home, and I came back, and then I went home, and then I came back. And I had to do all that. And some of you are thinking, now I have to listen to Mark talk. You know, I have to sit up. We tell ourselves a story all the time. 
that I have to do this. I have to breathe in. Now I have to breathe out. You know, I have to think about this. And pretty soon, you know, in about 34 minutes, I have to go home. You know, and then I have to feed the cat or I have to But the interesting thing to see is how everything happens on its own. And this is just a little way toward that insight that it's all happening on its own is to realize that dramas end without you having to make them go away. The breath comes in without you making it come in. The breath goes out without you making it go out. Sounds are being heard. That's one of the nice things about sound as a meditation anchor, a primary meditation object, because more than with other senses, it's easy to have this insight that hearing is happening on its own. You might tell yourself, yeah, I know I'm listening to the traffic, or I'm listening to this little subtle sound of the ceiling fan or the blower of the furnace. But you can see, you can relax completely and you realize the hearing still happens. You do not need to make a personal effort. In fact, the less personal effort you make, the easier it is to be aware of hearing. Hearing just happens. It's like nobody made an effort to hear that clap. But everybody heard it probably, right? Same thing like feeling the sensations in the body. You could, you know, like if the teacher told you, feel your body, you know, you could sort of feel like you've got to make an effort. But if you just relax and practice not doing anything, you realize that all of the sensations of the body are already here being known. You don't have to direct your attention, right? Where are the sensations of the body being known? They're all being known right here already just like sounds are being heard here already. And any thoughts that arise, they're being known. And in order for the next thing to be known, everything that is being known is falling away. And this is really the uh, beginning of this liberating process that the Buddha pointed to. The more we train the mind to be awake, to this truth that I've been talking about, that things arise and they pass, the more you'll just start to notice a kind of creeping, not in a negative sense, creeping spaciousness. It just kind of creeps in. Because it's not that you're trying to have equanimity or you're trying to be spacious or you're trying to have an open perspective about the difficult things in your life. It's not something you're doing. That's the point. But it will be something that will arise if you keep training your mind, remembering to notice that things are arising and things are ceasing. What arises and ceases? Well, thoughts arise and they cease. They pass away. Sounds arise. and Otherwise, there'd be an incredible traffic jam. If things didn't keep falling away, you know, more and more sounds would be known, more and more sights would be seen, thoughts would be known, sensations would be felt. But everything's in motion. Everything is flowing. But we don't 
we haven't trained the mind, awareness, to notice that. So that's what we're doing. So that's one of the advantages of taking a few minutes at the end of the sit to do the open attention practice, right? Because now you're not directing the attention and the reality of what we call a nicha in Buddhism or impermanence or the ephemeral process nature, changing nature, insubstantial nature of phenomena, empty nature, just becomes, it just begins to slowly dawn on the mind. The mind has some intuition. And you'll know it's dawning on your mind when you start to sense this creeping spaciousness. Because the mind just does not have a, it's harder to have a tight relationship with life the more we see the flow of things. It's like we get tight because we imagine that whatever thought, whatever feeling, whatever emotion, whatever circumstance, we imagine that it's somehow more substantial, more lasting than it is. But they don't. I mean, some of you have had really tremendously painful moments, right? Probably all of us to some degree, but that passed. And some of you have had really beautiful moments. And it passed. So why are we so tight about things? It's just going to go. Whatever it is, it's going to keep moving, keep becoming something else. Now, it's, that's not, what I just said, that's just on an intellectual level. But when you start seeing it in a more intimate, subjective, microscopic way that things are constantly in motion, it's not that you're trying to have more space, more equanimity, more sense of ease, and um, it's just not being so fixed, so neurotic. It's just you won't be able to help it. And that's exactly how the practice unfolds. The awakening, the liberation, the ease, the sense of well-being, the kind of compassion and love, it, doesn't, it isn't there in our lives because we're trying to be more compassionate or we're trying to be wiser, trying to be more loose and at ease with conditions. If it's a self-project, it's neurotic and it's going to be the cause for being tight. Right? There's nothing more stinky and tight than somebody trying to be compassionate and relaxed. <laughs> right? It's like, what's going on with you? I'm trying to be relaxed. <laughs> I mean, it, you laugh because we, we get it. Like, oh, we know on some level that's not the way for real peace, real liberation, real ease, real skill in the world to try to be skillful. But we also understand that there is an effort, just like letting life happen, we're just going to keep doing what we've always done and getting what we've always gotten. So it isn't about just being complacent. Obviously, that's not going to be. But what we're doing is we're training, this is the whole path, we're training the mind to be uh, the, the quality of awareness, to be stable so it can do this work we call insight, seeing things as they are. And in Buddhism, when we say having insight or seeing things as they are, seeing the nature, the underlying nature of things, we're really talking about the rising and passing, the insubstantial or the process nature of everything, absolutely everything. 
And what is everything? I think I mentioned this maybe week one or two. There's this great short talk the Buddha gave some 2,500 years ago. He called it the all. And he's just talking about like what our subjective experience is. He says, I think this, this talk, he says something like, a lot of people will tell you they know what the all is, but unless they describe the all in this way, they don't really know the all. He says, and what is that way? The all is sights being seen, sounds being heard, smells being smelled, tastes being tasted, touches being or felt, you know, a sensation, and thoughts being known. If they talk about the all as these six things, then they know what they're talking about. If they talk about the world, the all, everything, in some other way, they don't know what they're talking about. Because that's actually the all. And it's these six things, when we observe them subjectively in our experience, you will see they come and go. And when you observe that with some continuity over time, with real integrity, meaning you're interested, you're intimate with hearing, seeing, touching, smelling, tasting, and the mental processes, cognitive processes, you're just aware of them, not attached, not controlling, just observing, just knowing, you'll notice they're coming and going. And the more you see the arising and passing of these six things, the all, the more your whole relationship to what we call life will profoundly shift in the direction of what we call skillfulness. More love, more compassion, more joy, more equanimity, less attachment, less fixation, less fear, less greed and hatred. I can guarantee it. <laughs> but you can't prove me wrong unless you develop the practice. And then you won't be proving me wrong because you'll see that that is in fact the case. And the thing is, this is already happening, but the difference between people who sort of study these teachings and take it up as a training and an ordinary human being that's not overwhelmed by life, an ordinary human being stumbles upon these insights, right? They just sort of stumble upon them and not necessarily develop or understand what's going on. But we, people who get interested in this practice, we say, okay, you've got me hooked, I'm interested, so how do I have this insight? And then somebody says, well, if you really want to develop these insights, first you have to stabilize awareness. You have to be able to be in the present moment with some continuity, which means you have to put aside discursive thought for periods of time because you can't be in the present moment and be lost in thought at the same time. So if you can put aside discursive thought and train your mind to be in the present moment with some continuity, then you can be aware of present moment. Does it matter? Does it matter what object you're aware of in the all? No. You could be watching the sensations of the breath go in and out. You could be observing sound. You could even be observing thoughts coming and going. Because you can see the truth of impermanence with any phenomena. It doesn't matter which sense gate or whether you're using the cognitive activity or one of the five physical sense gates, doesn't matter because you'll see the flow, the changing nature of experience and that will change your view of what we call me or my life or my experience. It just shifts. 
So I want to leave it here. We have 20 minutes. It'd be nice to hear. Now you've been at it for four weeks or so. You've learned some things about your mind. And in particular, week four, it's nice to, for people to share about like what gets in the way of that steadiness of present moment awareness. What's in the way? And what do you do with it, the problem or the distraction? And then what happens when you intervene? Does it make it worse or make it better? What have you learned about it? Okay. And then, of course, anything else related to the practice. Remember to point the mic right at your mouth. Who would like to begin? You could also bring up walking meditation. Hopefully some of you have tried that. It's really a useful practice, even standing meditation. What sharings do you have? Please, I'm going to pass it to the person behind you. So this was um, sort of answered this evening, but one thing I have been thinking about uh, as I've been practicing is that there there are some things that we want to reflect on, um, like, you know, a book that I've read or a film that I've seen or a challenging conversation I had that feel like needs some extra thought. And if the goal is to not be lost in, in thought and to have a continuity of mindful awareness when and how do we give ourselves the time and space to think about those things that maybe we aren't able to um, fully address in the present moment. I'm not sure if everybody heard you but she's asking about how useful it is to take some time to think things through and she mentioned like a, a book she's reading and maybe some interesting information or content came up in the book or could be your relationship, or could be all kinds of things. And absolutely, it's really important to put aside time to think about things in your life that need, actually need to be thought about. Now, we spend a lot of time thinking about things we don't need to be, to be thought about. And often, we're thinking about those things that don't need to be thought about because we're, we don't want to think about the things we need to think about because they often involve unpleasant feeling. So it is really good. Some people create a habit of journaling, and that's the place they process some of that stuff. Other people take walks around a lake or have good friendships with people. So instead of thinking it through themselves, they think it, think it through with a friend or a couple friends. But just because that's a really important thing to do doesn't mean you should do it while you're meditating. And that's the important thing. So, yes, we need to do a lot of things. You should brush your teeth. You should get a good night's sleep. Certain parts of your life need to be thought through. Certain choices you need to make need to be thought through. And you need to put time aside to practice being mindfully aware, to put down discursive thinking for a period of time. And it just turns out, and you have to check this out for yourself. Don't believe what I say just because I say it. turns out, that this practice is, turns out to be the most potent for really transforming our lives. But if we have a lot of unfinished business because we haven't thought clearly about some of these choices, you won't be able to do this practice. right? If your life is a mess, your relationship is falling apart, your kids are running away from home, your cat is peeing on your new carpet, and, you know, and your body is hurting and you're sick, and you're in debt. And, well, you need to think through some of these things and 
figure out how to make different choices. You know, so life is asking for some interventions, and we need to address those things. It's not easy to develop awareness practice when our life is falling apart. So if you can do this practice, it means you, you have a pretty privileged existence. Because a lot of people have so much unfinished business that it would not be easy for them to sit for 30 minutes and be in their experience. The first thing that would happen if they just were to sit down is they realize, oh my God, I left the burner on. I haven't fed the cat. Oh, I was supposed to pay that bill three weeks ago. You know, I was such a jerk to my best friend. I got to call them and tell them I'm sorry. Because their life, because of circumstances, because of whatever, there's just a lot of unfinished business. And in a way, it needs to be taken care of because you're not going to be able to sit. Because as you quiet down, what's going to be front and center is get yourself to that place and fix this problem. I can't believe you've been neglecting that for so long. So what you brought up isn't so much that, but it is nice to have some time set aside to be thoughtful. But this isn't that time. This is the time to set aside the whole world. It's really important to understand what a radical move it is for a person to sit down and to be aware of the sensations of breathing in and to be aware of the sensations of breathing out. And to do that with some continuity means you're really putting the whole world down. You can't be even thinking, am I doing this well in the right way, right? So if we're really just in the present moment with breath, with sensation, with hearing, thought is just thought, we've really put everything else down. And that is an altered state. Altered state in the sense is you will not recognize that state as an ordinary state of mind. So being in the present moment, which ultimately is the most ordinary thing to do, initially can be quite scary and, and altered. Because we're, we don't know what it is to be, I mean, what we know is experience mediated by language. We don't really know what experience is when it's not being mediated by our thoughts, our ideas, our mental images. Sensation in and of itself. It's really like just, I think I mentioned this last week, just to experience the body in and of itself, not in terms of what we think the body is, is a real altered experience of the body. But it's actually the way the body is, not the thought about the body or the mental image, but sensation as a flow. Really, it's a different experience of body. And in the first few times, it's shocking when we feel the body in and of itself, or thought, just as thought, or sound, just as sound. People call it a mystical experience. It's not a mystical experience. I mean, it is in a sense, I guess, if you want to define it that way. It's just we're so used to having every experience mediated by our language, by our thoughts. And it's like imprisoning, but we don't realize it. So that first step, that's why I'm kind of emphasizing this. It's like we really want to make our time when we're doing our awareness practice sacred so we don't use it to plan out what I'm going to say to somebody later in the evening when I have a meeting with them. That might be a really good thing to do, but don't use your meditation time to do that. Now, we will anyway. (laughs) 
But when you catch yourself doing it, then you know you're doing something that you can do at another time, but not now. Yeah, that, I'm going to do that. That would be good. But right now, I'm going to know, notice that that's just thinking being known. It's just a thought. And then it fades away. Ah, sensations are being known. Now, I'm using thought, right? But the thoughts that I'm using are pointing, directing the attention to the non-conceptual reality of sensation in this case. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's a really good point. Other questions or comments from your practice you want to share with the group? Yes, please. Wait for the mic, though. To answer this, but so when you were talking about breaking the continuity of awareness, I thought to myself, well, I'm always aware, at least when I'm in this room, I'm not sure inside this room, mm-hmm. but of what I'm doing. If I'm concentrating on my breath, I'm aware of that. If my mind shifts to having a conversation that I, or be having a conversation with somebody I, I talked to earlier, I'm aware of that too. So then when you said, I, then I don't think, did you mean just continuity of any kind of awareness or awareness? Yeah. It's a, what what it's, you called non-discursive thought or something, which is... Yeah, it's sure. a really important question you're bringing up, and I'm glad you did, because I don't think I've been clear enough in this course, and I'd like to make this point. Uh, it's basically defining what I mean by awareness. So awareness, as I'm using it, is not the same as conscious. So it's true that, you know, unless you're falling asleep, you're conscious all day long. But you could drive home and make it all the way home. But then, and now later, then you think, well, I can't remember driving home. But I'm pretty sure I was conscious, right? But, I'm not, but I probably wasn't aware. So when I say awareness or mindful awareness, I mean that there's this, it's like a different or a, another dimension of, a, of consciousness where the mind is reflectively aware of what's happening, right? So that means, you know, I'm reaching and, you know, the mind is conscious in that moment, but I can be consciously aware that I'm reaching. But we've reached for the light many times today, but how many times was there a a reflective awareness that reaching's like this. The sensations of reaching are like this. Not the words that I'm saying, but the actual awareness of that physical experience of reaching. Probably very few times today were we reflectively aware. So that reflective awareness is like a new muscle for most of us. We haven't developed it. So most of the day, you know, maybe 1% of the time, there's mindful awareness. And if somebody's been practicing for a while, then maybe 10 to 20% of the time, there's mindful awareness. Most of the time, we're running on autopilot, right? And how do we know? Because the mind is not remembering to recognize this is the present moment. You see, like when I, as soon as I said this is the present moment, some of you realize, oh yeah, this is the present moment which meant the moment before you weren't aware that this is the present moment. Like one of the things about being reflectively aware, mindfully aware, is you realize this is all there is. Right? I mean, this is everything right here. There's nothing outside of this moment. But when we're lost in thought, when we're just on autopilot, it seems like there's a past and a future, doesn't it? 
But there's, is there a future? Uh, there's the thought now that there's a future. Is there a past? No. There's a thought. We have thoughts about the past, but those thoughts arise here and now. So one of the things about being mindfully aware, it will even make your hair stand up the back of your neck because we realize we don't live in the present moment. We live in terms of our thoughts. We're lost in thought. Did I mention this? That one of the great uh, 20th century Asian teachers, Buddhist, a Buddhist monk, when asked to sort of characterize what is, what's the world like for an ordinary human being, his response was lost in thought. But if, you, if we interviewed 1,000 people on the streets of Minneapolis, very few people would characterize their experience as a human being as being lost in thought because that's normal. It's like you could interview 1,000 fish and no one's going to say, yeah, I, I've been spending my life in water. They don't, you know, they don't think about being in water in the same way we don't think about being lost in thought. But as we start to learn about what it's like to be mindful, then we realize all of a sudden we can comprehend what it is to be lost in thought. But otherwise, we're just not aware of what that is to be lost in thought. But you'll start noticing. I'm sure many of you are already noticing like you've been lost and you're start, starting to catch those moments when you're coming back to a moment of mindfulness. Now, it may only last a, a fraction of a second or a couple of seconds, before you get sucked back into the next drama. But it, you'll just notice, like, like the whole world opens up. Oh, I was just in that little vortex, spinning, you know, with that little obsessive drama, whatever it was. And now the whole world is here. Oh, what about that? And then you get <laughs> sucked back into the next thing. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's an important point. Yes, please, Isabel, and then Matt. Is that it? Done. So I sort of have a couple of situations I'd like to hear from you about. Maybe a little closer. I, I was sitting the other day, and I started thinking about being anchored in my body and how my body can't go back and it can't go into the present. And I really got stuck there for quite a while. And it didn't feel very good. I mean, it felt static and not flowing. The body? My mental process, you know, just because I considered myself as not changing in time. It was just being anchored in my body there. And it was just a weird, weird uh, feeling. And then another thing that I've been thinking about a lot is that I have real difficulty coming out of my sit the time that I'm in practice when it's I know that you know my 40 minutes is up and I need to get up and feed the cat or whatever and it's really difficult to pull myself out of that I, I just resist it I just want to keep sitting and sitting and, and what what is the sensation when you get up is it like you've been sleepy or is it just you don't want to have to deal with life Oh, <laughs> it's just that it feels so good to be where I am. Oh, and well, then, then that would be really important to get interested in the pleasantness of it and make peace with the pleasantness. You know, the reason I emphasized earlier before our sit about feeling tone is 
when you really make peace with feeling of pleasantness, you're making peace with the fact that it comes and goes. And so then you don't mind losing it because you know it's going to go anyway. So that awareness that pleasantness comes and goes and the awareness that unpleasantness comes and goes is very liberating. You would think, but I don't want pleasantness to come and go. But it means you don't have to grab it. You know, if we think we can make pleasantness last, we'll grab it. And there's so much stress in trying to make pleasant situations last. It's like our life. Being really grounded in the reality that it's going to go away makes aging so much easier. I don't struggle to sort of stay a young man or a middle-aged man (laughs) as I enter my late 50s, you know. I don't have to... Because I know it's slipping through my fingers. And I've been practicing that, that understanding, holding, living out of that understanding for a long time. So, so really take that time at the end of the sit to realize that, oh, it's pleasant like this now. Let pleasantness be predominant. Be intimate with it. Relax with it. And see that it's, see its ephemeral changing nature. It's a conditioned arising. Meaning... Nobody in the whole universe can make it last. That's so great. And just do that generally in your daily life too, not just during your meditation. So during this week, unpleasant and pleasant feelings, acknowledge it in your mind. Oh, this is pleasant and it will change. This is unpleasant and it will change. Just keep it. Don't make it change. Don't Just acknowledge the reality. I've had unpleasant experience before and it changed. I've had pleasant experience before, and it changed. And I'm okay with that. I'm learning to be okay with that, you could say, right? Because that's how it is. That's the way it is. It's not necessarily the way I want it to be, but it's, well, unpleasant experience is probably the way we want it to be. But it, it is the way that it is. So we're learning to live in alignment with it. Yeah. And Don, you get the last word. Thank you. Um I have a little trepidation about, you know, sharing, but, um, you know, when you talk about distractions, stuff like that, you'll say, this is being known, like, okay, I've got anxiety or I'm you know, thinking about the cat or whatever, but you don't mention, um, I don't know if it's not necessarily on purpose, but, you know, anger is a distraction. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I don't want to be like the male version of a downer Debbie, you know, here at the end of the sit, but a real life situation that happened to me. So I figured I'd, I'd ask you about this instead of coming up afterwards, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. somebody else can sure. get a benefit from it. Um, and like I said last week after we spoke briefly, you know, I feel like, um, you know, Charlie Brown with the rain, rain cloud that's always following over his head. And, you know, it's one, I'm a very reactive person. So, um, this is one of the reasons I'm coming here to try to, to deal with it. A situation happened today is, um, with my uh, significant other and, uh, it's kind of been a topic that we've both been avoiding, you know, a, a thing because we knew it would be a flashpoint. So kind of one thing led another and, you know, it started to get ele- elevated. And um, then I said what I had to say and kind of like the last jab. And I, I went upstairs because I realized it was just going to blow up if I didn't leave. So I go upstairs and I'm sitting in, in the attic and uh, it's a pretty nice little space. I mean, it's got power and everything. It's unfinished and the rafters are exposed and it's a you know, dark corner and I'm sitting there and I'm, relaxing and I'm just you know meditating the best I know how and uh, and I'm really just kind of getting lost and 
being peaceful about what just happened. And lost all, and peaceful? Lost and kind of feeling peaceful, you know, uh-huh. just trying yeah. to feel relaxed. And I'm not really perseverating on the issue. And I said, I know, you know, this is, ang-, I started thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting angry. This was anger being known. And, yeah. you know, just try to, you know, go back to the breathing. And I'm sitting there really calm. And all of a sudden, I'm like, am I dreaming? I hear this shouting, this loud screaming. And the lady next door who my snake feathers had problems with, you know, uh, cops being called all the time. There's drinking and stuff like that. And she's got some psychological issues. And I'm like, she's screaming about, she's saying some very personal stuff. And I'm like, am I, you know, and something about, you know, what is this truck doing in front of my property or something? So I go downstairs. I just snapped out of whatever. And I said to her, did, did you hear that? And, and, and I said, was she talking about my truck? And she says, where are you parked? Are you parked in front of my house? This is a public street. And I said, no, I'm parked in front of the neighbor's house. And, you know, and then I'm standing there and she says something very personal. I mean, she's in the other house next door, you know, that's closest. But she's screaming at the top of her lungs at 11 o'clock in the morning. And you know what? I lost it. And I'm like, when when she said that personal thing, it's like, what is any of your business, you know, about our relationship or whatever? And then I went down and we got in this argument, you know, and I called her out. And, you know, I knew I was getting mad and I didn't care. And I wanted to fight with somebody, maybe because I had, I had put off the argument with this person. But I mean, I, I lost. I mean, I, I, I got to admit, I was, I was, she was just biting into me about all this stuff. So I didn't know how to deal with it. And I had to get the last word in. And I, yeah, I was, I was cursing, you know, I was yeah. really ticked off. And then the, you know, when, when that something like that happens, I mean, it's nine o'clock, so we can't go into too much depth right now, although we can talk down afterward if you want, but. When, when something happens, we want to make sure at the very least, especially if, it, if an afterthought, it looks like, oh, I probably could have handled that better or I wish I could have handled it better, but we can at least let it be a teacher. And so in Buddhism, you probably heard the term karma, right? So karma just means that we're always setting things in motion. And so when we do something positive or so-called negative, at the very least, we want to learn what just got set in motion. And it's not about judging what we did. It's about directly observing what is left over from the interaction. right? Because whatever happened made an imprint in your heart, your mind, your body, in your life, whatever that thing, your body-mind thing is over there, that now is the continuation has been affected by that interaction, right? And so you ha- right now, in this moment, you get to feel the karmic fruit of those moments back there. And that's what you can do now about what happened then, is you can be practice being intimate with what's true now for you, what's in the body, what's moving in the mind, Is it pleasant or unpleasant? Can I be intimate with that? What happens when I open to it? What happens when I choose to not feel? You know, like a lot of times we perseverate, we think about what happened because we're afraid just to feel what it feels like in the body, in the mind. So that's why sometimes when it's really strong, even lying down or doing some walking practice or some kind of physical movement practice might 
be the initial step, to just get close to what we're feeling. Another thing that we're going to do next week, week five, we always do the loving-kindness practice, and it's considered the antidote for aversion. And Don, your point about aversion is really important. Aversion and greed are the two biggest disturbances in our minds. And that's really good to get to know, to see how they operate. Now, for you, it might not be anger. Your expression of aversion might be more fear or self-hatred or shame. So it, it activates or it arises differently in different personalities. But everybody's got to deal with aversion and everybody has to deal with greed in the mind. And one of the great things, great approaches to aversion is not to have loving kindness for that person, your neighbor or your partner, but to have love or kindness for what it feels like right now. Ah, it feels like this. I care about this yucky feeling. I care enough to be willing to feel it. I care enough to be willing to be close to it. May this heart be safe and at ease with the conditions of this life right now. May wisdom and love protect me. So, you know, that kind of attitude is healing. Right? It's grounding. And there's nothing ever in the way of having, we use the word metta a lot, because the word love or friendliness or kindness, you know, it's kind of gotten overused. Or we, but anyway, it's fine to use those words, but you might, around common ground, you might hear the word metta, which usually is that spiritual quality of willing to say yes, willing to include, willing to be kind and friendly. So we'll do that practice next week. But you can go ahead and listen to week five because it's on the website, right? And you can also get week five's handout, which has the instructions for the loving kindness practice. All of you, it might be nice to read it before next week uh, just to give yourself a little heads up. But anyway, it's a few minutes after nine, so we should end. If you have a couple moments, help bring the chairs down, um, all the folding chairs down to the right and to the right. Have a good week, everyone. See you next Tuesday. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.